The biggest thing I think is people will almost always underproof their dough. You know, if you haven't done it yet, or you you know you haven't baked with someone else or taken a class, I think most beginners underproof, and then they get that loaf that like explodes in the oven, and they have like huge holes on the in- interior. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Mauricio Leo is the big bread brain behind The Perfect Loaf, an incredibly popular online community of bread fans and home bakers. He's also the author of The Perfect Loaf, The Craft and Science of Sourdough Breads, Sweets, and More, a baking book, winner of both James Beard and IACP awards, and really an instant classic. On this episode, we talk about what excites Mauricio in bread today and his unique journey to teaching and also writing cookbooks. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Mauricio Leo, this is Tace. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. It's great to see you and have you in the studio. You're in town for IACP. You're nominated. Um, let me ask you about New York. You know, when you when you land in a city and you're checking out the city's bread scene, what do you like to think about when you're making your list? Because I know we talked a little bit where you've been so far, but how do you figure that all out? I think for me, the, the first thing I do is I, I always reach out to bakers I know that I can reach through Instagram or even email. Um, I always ask them first, like, where should I go? Because they they usually have you know an inside track on on the the better places or the places that I kind of have to see, um, so I start there and they usually give me a good kind of good itinerary. But then, whenever I go to the place, I usually like to to just explore and ask people yeah. like where are you getting your bread because a lot of times I think you know people have their favorite bakery that they go to and it's kind of a routine or a ritual that they get into. Um, that's always, those are my two steps. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So you're like definitely doing the Intel with like the big baker yeah. guys and just word on the street. Let me ask you, is there, is there a bread that you just seek out? Is there like a, or a pastry that you seek out when you're traveling? Cause you travel a lot for your, your book work and, and also other work in terms of pastry. It's, yeah. it's always just a croissant. I think, yeah. you know, the perfect breakfast item. Um, if I'm, Really searching, I might look for an Italian coronetto, which is a little bit, a little bit different. Yeah, it's a specialty, kind of hard. I think it's hard to find here in the in the states. Um, but those are my two kind of go to for pastry. For bread, you know, I have to say a baguette is yeah the the classic baguette, and it's it's hard to find a good one, like one that's made. I think you know truly like French French style. Yeah, with uh, you know the bien cuit, like the yeah. outer, outer outer crust and just right. Now, I mean, when you eat baguette, though, are you like disappointed into the fact where you're just gonna maybe put to the side and not eat it? I don't know if I ever really do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just love you know bread in all all forms, <laughs> unless it's like you know super subpar. But yeah, if you're going to a reputable bakery, like, and I feel like those are always a focus for a bakery because it's just like one of the most purchased breads and it makes such a great sandwich. Um, But I think maybe second to that would be if it wasn't like a large loaf of bread, it'd be like a focaccia. Oh, yeah. For me, that's what I grew up eating just 
as a snack, you know, all the time or for sandwiches. Um, so that's those. We'll get things. into your 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 history and your family's history in Albuquerque, and I, I, I love I love the, your history and and, and your, your Pizzolo Pizzolo past and, right. and and all that. But but first, last question about about New York. What's your assessment of the bread scene here? Are you are you excited to try any bakeries here? We have a lot of listeners who tune into want they want picks from our from our expert guests. What do you think? I think there's there's probably so many bakeries that you know I need like a month here to, yeah. to even scratch the surface. But um, I'm doing a kind of a pop up in a couple of days here with uh, Mel the baker. Yeah, so, dude, nice. Yeah, I'm excited to try her. I think donuts and things. So I'm super pumped for that. And then um, actually, just last night I got recommended um, Bread and Salt Bakery. Oh yeah. So yeah, there's I have a list that I I kind of want to go through and and see. What I can do. Yeah, if you can get back to Jersey City to get Rick Easton's bread mm-hmm. and salt uh, sandwiches and focaccia, yeah. if you can get there. But you were at uh, Razza last night. Right. Talk about that. It was amazing. I mean, I think it was— Really? As I, advertised. I, I had an idea for what the pizza was going to be like, Just, but you, you can't ever— You know, seeing pictures and videos, it, it doesn't capture the, kind of the essence of, of, you know, the crust and how fresh the ingredients are and— um, you know, we talked with Dan for a while yeah, about, sure, yeah. yeah, about the ingredients and, you know, he's, his passion just kind of like, you know, it's, it's so evident that he really cares about, you know, the yeah. food. So the pizza was amazing. Yeah. How do you describe it? I, I to me, it's, it's challenging cause it's not, it's not Roman. It's not like it, it's its own version, but it, it's more leans more Roman in terms of the, like the thickness of the crust mm-hmm. and the way the crust kind of works, um, and, and, and flakes and snaps a little bit. That's maybe not the right word, but it's definitely the, more than Neo and, and pan. But what do you think? We were talking about that. You know, we we were saying the flavors are amazing, but it's the texture totally of just how crisp yeah. it is, and it's not. You know, we're not talking like cracker crunchy. It's Definitely it's not. this weird. We were talking about that fine line. At, you know, it's all done in the wood fired oven, so it's like it's not not burned for sure, but it's like there's just such a fine line when you're working with high heat like that, you know, oh my he goodness. nails it. He nails it. Seconds, seconds, yeah. uh, uh, you know, can change the pie. Um, let's go back a little bit. You you come from a pizza family um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I want to ask you, how was your, your, your upbringing and working in a pizzeria? How did that inform your, your bread baking and your, your journalism because you're writing, because I know you're, you had, you didn't work in food media for most of your career. You've mm-hmm. had other careers. So how did that inform you? Yeah, I, I grew up, you know, at my dad's restaurant yeah. as a kid. What's it called? It, Mimos. Okay. Mimos Ristorante. <laughs> <laughs> you could call it Ristorante. That's right. Yeah, it, it's like a, a typical Italian-American restaurant, you know, almost cliche now, but yeah. Beautifully so, you know, you, you walk in and it, it feels like a family's place, you know. I mean, we were there running around, my brother and I, as we, we grew up in the restaurant. And um, I think it, it's one of those things where you're just around, you know, you since you grow up in it, you're just around it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, watching my dad make pizza all day or watching the, you know, cooks, whatever they're making, whatever pasta they're making that day. Um, I, I think it... it um, even though I didn't go into the food industry, you know, through school, 
I think it was always there yeah. kind of like pulling me back in that direction. Pulling, always pulling you back, but you ended up, what, what, what did your career, where did you land? And I know you've developed apps and you've worked um, early internet, you're an inter- early internet guy, mm-hmm. vague, vague description of what you did. But, <laughs> but like, you, and you talked about, you just said how the restaurant world and food world was always tugging at you, but where did you end up? What was your career? Or is your career? Yeah, I, I actually went into software engineering. So I, I've always had this personality for precision and measurement and um, algorithms kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and I got I got interested in like early days when the internet was, it was like AOL and, yeah. you know, dial up. And it everything was emerging. It was super exciting. And it, I just, I was drawn to like technology. And I, I don't know if it's because, um, you know, my parents, they, they got us an early computer and, and I think it maybe because it was something so new and so different and kind of away from what my parents did. Um, maybe that was part of the draw, but yeah, I, I went to school for, for computer science. Um, I got my undergrad and grad degree there and I, I was working, you know, at a college, I worked at a defense contractor. I was mm. doing like drone um, development mm. so before drones were available, yeah. you know, everywhere. They were like probably like $50,000 to start. <laughs> and they were huge. It was yeah. like a trash can size, wow. you know. Um, and it was great. It was fun. And I, during that time, I was doing stuff online, you know, writing, making websites and designing things. And um, my focus has always been kind of like usability. So I focused yeah. on like, this was, I, I feel like it was before um, UX, like, you know, user interface design. And was the kind of, actual pro- trade. Exactly. Were you like an early blogger? Were you on the blogger platform? It It's funny because I can remember like right out of college, this was like 2003. Yeah. Um, I started a website where I was just writing and I, but I didn't really have anything to, any passion to like write about, yeah. you know? So you were like blogging. I was blogging like <laughs> really, I mean, that's pretty early. Yeah. And there are sites for sure that were back, you know, from back then. But I can remember even before that, I want to say 19, well, it's probably 2000. And I made the first website on like GeoCities. You yeah, know? totally. And it was, it was a, a soccer website because I was a big soccer player. Like English? Uh, Italian. Oh, Italian. And so I did all the Italian teams, you know, the Serie A. And yeah. So, you know, you know, when you're publishing stuff online, I think you, you got to have what what's your interest at the time and what is your passion about? And it's kind of like your platform for writing. Were you an early food internet guy? Were you on like Chowhound? I wasn't. Yeah. Like, or any of those other. I didn't come back to food yeah. until kind of a little bit after I that. I got it. Yeah. So you developed some apps and you, you, are you still in that software development world right now? I am, but it's shifted now. Now I'm kind of doing more, more food. I, I wrote an app called, well, I, me and two others wrote an app called Skyview. Yeah. Skyview, of course. And that's, that's one of you, it's your app, which is a stargazing app. What do you call it? It is. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we released it in, well, it's been, I think, 12 years. So right when the, the App Store came out, mm-hmm. we, we released it. Um, and I still I still kind of dabble in, yeah. in software. And I, I love, I do love the engineering aspect and um, kind of architecting things that way. Um, and it, it's had a big impact on people. Like it's, you know, it's one of those things where I, I feel like one of the reasons we, we wrote the app is because people stopped kind of going outside to see the stars and things. And it's been something I've always been interested into. Is there an app that we've not yet had in the food space that you feel 
broadly could could actually be an app because like apps are a little bit i think it's like down a little bit and everyone's now more it's like web two yeah web three actually with crypto but what right. but is there like an app that you think would work i think there's always space for it um i'm I'm working on one. Oh, here we go, guys. <laughs> okay, let's yeah. go. Reseal. What can you say? I love it. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely bread um, centered right now, at yep. least for the first version. Um, hoping to release it later this year. And I, I think there's always space for like a native app. You know, web interface is amazing, but sometimes, and especially when you're in the kitchen, you just want something focused on the task that you're doing and yes. not have to like flip through web pages or refresh or whatever. Like you want to take notes or you want to plan what you're going to bake that day, put it in the app and it's it's waiting for you as fast as possible. Love that. I mean, it's so true. I mean, the biggest food uh, media outlet right now is an app. It's New York Times Cooking. Yeah. Like undeniable. And Epicurus is pretty pretty close too. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't wait. That sounds great. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's a killer app for, for, for bread. Yeah. Um, okay, I got a simple question. I know it's not a simple answer. Um, but where do I, me being a, 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 somebody who's interested in food, but maybe not a, a big home cook, where do I start my journey for baking bread? It's really hard to wrap my head around, like, starting. I think it's intimidating for a lot of people. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I started my website, you know, 10 years ago is because it, it, for me, I was, you get kind of like thrown in, especially if you haven't done anything that's has any kind of leavening, like any kind of yeasted breads or anything. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it, it is intimidating for people. So despite all that, I think the best way to get started is really just to get in there and, and do it. Like once you get over, like what's the worst that can happen kind of thing. Like yeah. just get in there, mix some flour and, and water and, and go. And if you want to do sourdough, which is how I started, I think it's a harder path. Um, Good point. Yeah, it is the harder path, but I think if it interests you, natural fermentation, you know, all the flavor and, and everything you get from that, then um, you can always get your starter from a friend. Yeah, you know, everyone's got a little little uh, sludgy starter in the back of their fridge. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that part. Uh-huh. Just take some and and you know mix it together and and bake it like. It really, it doesn't have to be as as intimidating as it sounds. It's, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Um, bread machines, what do you think? I haven't ever used one. Okay, um, enough said. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool with it, though. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, people baking bread instead of, you know, buying industrialized bread, like, let, let's do it. Whatever it is. If it's a bread machine, like, that's cool. What is something you wish you knew when you first started baking bread and, and specifically sourdough? Yeah, there's, um, it, it, it has to be temperature. Like Good. Temperature just absolutely rules, like, all aspects of fermentation. So if you, if you have an idea for just the simple effect of, you know, warmer temperature increases fermentation activity. Like even just that is is powerful. Having a thermometer, I think, helps a lot. Not mandatory, but for me personally, like when I started baking and I, I got my thermometer, it changed the game because I was like, okay, this dough isn't as warm as I thought it was. You know, maybe that's a reason why this thing is taking so long. Mm. You know, there's just such a 
a strong correlation between like successful baking and monitoring your your dough temperature. And it really <laughs> it really hit your uh, your skill set, you know, having yeah. that data component. Absolutely. I mean, so <laughs> that's the unlock for you is like you know, there's actually data here. Wow, there's yeah. numbers on the on the board. Yeah, that it really plays into my engineering side and yeah. kind of curiosity. Now, when you talk about thermometer, are you talking about like a digital pr- you probe it into the dough? Or- yeah. Those are pretty affordable, right? You can, I mean, $10 maybe? Yeah, I mean, you can get, yeah. them, get them anywhere. It doesn't have to be like a fancy bread one or yeah. barbecue one or anything. So yeah, get that thermometer. And what about oven th- temperature? Let's talk about that. I feel that's something we maybe don't always, we, we rely on the, the knob. The knob is in, or the digital screen even. Right. It's maybe not the best. When I, first, when I first started baking in my old house, it was an old, a really old electric oven. And I... Set it to 450 degrees Fahrenheit, and my bread was, like, over-baking every time. And I'm like, I know I'm doing this right. I put a thermometer in there, and sure enough, it was, like, way higher than, than I thought. So that it's a common thing. Yeah. Get, you know, get a thermometer in there and make sure, especially if it's an older oven. Let's go back um, to when you first started teaching people to bake bread. Um what is the the biggest mistake that bread bakers make? And we just talked about temperature. Seems like a huge point, but there's probably other other factors that you just repeatedly see. And if you go to the Perfect Loaf and you go to your website, you see so many comments, people asking questions. It's great to see that community too. Yeah. The biggest thing I think is people will almost always underproof their dough. And you know, if you haven't done it yet, or you you know you haven't baked with someone else or taken a class, you, you don't have that. Well, it's tactile for sure, but yeah. you kind of build this intuitive sense for for fermentation and, and the dough, and so I think most beginners underproof, and then they get that loaf that like explodes in the oven, and they have like you know huge holes on the in- interior, and what, like and not the desirable crumb, but like the big yeah. like the termite crumb, yeah, yeah, and you can almost like now now i can just you know i can pick it out immediately and and that's like probably my most answered email it's like you need to give the dough more time and especially in in bulk fermentation that first rise mm-hmm. that's that's usually when when the underproofing happens so proofing is essentially the re- the the sitting out and <laughs> just leaving it yeah leaving it exactly. leaving it rest and it's like, usually in uh, like usually just on the counter it can be on the counter if it's cold in your kitchen yeah. then you know i usually put it in my oven that's turned off with yeah. the light on. It's a it's a perfect little uh, proofing chamber. Yeah, that makes sense. And you don't have to look at it. It's just like there. Yep. And just put a little sticky on, you know, don't turn the oven on kind of thing. <laughs> let me let me ask you about the the community in the perfect loaf. I think there's like a micro narrative that during the pandemic sourdough was big and, and there was like sour bros, which is a funny term. <laughs> um, and like there was a big pop and then, and certainly we saw book sales rise then, uh, pun intended. But um, there has been some narrative that sourdough is like out of fashion, whatever you may see. I, I've seen that um, online, that chatter. Um, tell me that this is incorrect because I, I just look at the comments and I see they're in the hundreds and when you post an article on the perfect loaf. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I, I don't think it's, I mean, certainly from the height of pandemic when everybody was locked down and, you know, baking at home. I mean, that was like astronomical increase, yeah. but I mean, year over year, like there's just been a lot more bakers that, that have come in, especially now there's still, yeah, I think there's still a lot of attention and, you know, People that started baking during the pandemic, 
you know, maybe some of them have dropped off because it is, you know, it does require some time. Like you need to be at home and mm -hmm. you have to, you know, you have to, to monitor this thing and, and care for it. But I mean, I can, I can just say for sure, like my audience has definitely grown and there's a lot more Baker kind of interaction and people in the membership. and that. Yeah, I figured you would say that. And it seems like just from our publishing, we've seen books uh, continue to come and they, mm -hmm. they're successful. Talk about your membership. How does that work? It's cool that you've built a community um, around bread baking, but what is what is it like? How do you interact with them? It's been amazing, actually. I, I started it way back in 2018. So it's been, yeah. it's been around for a while. Pre-Substack. Pre-Substack. Yep. Um, I think maybe like near when memberful and patreon and those things were kind of taking off um i didn't have an expectation that there would be you know i have you know just shy of like 2000 members at this point and it's it's just an incredible community of yeah of passionate people who you know i, I don't want to say bread nerds but it, it kind of feels that way like in the best way you know what i mean like we just we're on discord is is kind of how we chat and keep nice you have a discord yeah Ooh. And, and it's been great like you know before I came to New York, I sent out a message like, hey, I'm going to be in New York. And, you know, people are like, I'll meet you there. You know, it's just a great kind of like friendship. I, I really feel like that. So Discord, for those who don't know, it's it's kind of like a glorified chat room in many ways. Essentially. Yeah. Or yeah. like a Slack channel with mm -hmm. public. Um, what kind of, uh, what are some of the topics on Discord that, that are hitting right now? There's always sourdough starter yeah. discussions. Like, you know, <laughs> people will post pictures like what's happening here, what's wrong. Um, nice. I mean, there's we have topics on every facet of scoring, you know, yeah. shaping, different kinds of recipes that you know members are posting, and then I'll try them in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. or I'll, I'll post things that I'm you know in research and development you know stage. So it's fun. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to 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 do what we're going to talk about now. But we're in early talks, mid talks, we'll say about about maybe doing a trip. And I want to I want to get your your sense. Uh, Taste Travels has been super successful. We we had a beautiful trip with Susie Karache last June in Puglia, or this June that would be. Wow, time is funny. Um, and we were just ch chatting when the, I was on the trip. You we you and I started interacting, and we like we're like let's do it for you. Yeah. So let's let me hear about your thoughts on like where do you want to go? I think Italy is is a no brainer. Yeah. Um, you know, with my Italian kind of family, and I used to go back there often as a kid. There's a strong bread culture there, obviously, yeah. that um, it'd be fun to explore. And there's a there's a lot of bread, especially in southern Italy, that I think maybe is undiscovered and yep. just like local, hyper-local like breads that um, communities make. And um, there's just a lot to explore there. And then there's, there's pizza, of course. Of course. And uh, you have a deep interest in that. And uh, we can talk a little bit more about what you want to do with pizza. But, but back to the trip, um, are there like cities you want to visit? I, I, I feel like we were just in the planning stages and we'll announce this later in the year. But what's your, what, what are some cities that come to mind? I'd, I'd love to go to Naples. Honestly. Yeah. I've never been there. And it's, um, even though I've been back to Italy often, it's one of the places where we never, never visited. Um, but there's a, a lot of small little towns in southern Italy that I think have a lot of interesting culinary past that, you know, you can explore. Um, yeah. And and the bread in Italy, I feel compared to France, doesn't get its, doesn't get its shine. I agree. So this is, <laughs> this is part of this discovery in this trip. Yeah. Yeah. And there, I think, um, especially in the south with um, like Altamura bread and yep. I mean... Yeah, there's just a lot to discover. It's exciting. 
stay tuned. We'll have some things to announce later this year about Taste Travels. Um, let me ask you about what's next book-wise. Um, I know you just got done with this massive book and project. It's really popular still. I mean, your book is amazing. And I'll link to the show notes to pick it up. Now, what's what are you thinking? What's in your head right now about future book projects? I, I would love to write another bread book. Um, I think there's a lot to say about whole grains, you know, freshly milled flour, um, areas that I've explored um, with sourdough, yeah. you know, especially. And then there have been a lot of people that have asked, surprisingly, for books like things to do with your sourdough starter discard, yeah. you know, like, because I have cake recipes and, you know, things you wouldn't think of normally that yeah. you, know, you can use that in or... You can use the discard like in a in a sweet application that you normally wouldn't. So, what does it do to a sweet application that we you know we haven't really done use sourdough starter in, in sweet applications? It, it's harder. It's definitely more challenging. Yeah. Um, I'd say in some cases it may not make sense. Like for a croissant, like you can do it. Yeah. But practically, it's it's a lot of work. Like it's it's really difficult. Um, but there are things like donuts, like bomboloni. Yeah. That, you know, you can make. I have the recipe in my first book, but there's variants of that that you can do. Um, things like panettone is, yeah. you know, has been naturally leavened for for years. Um, and so I think there's a lot of, and there's also unexpected things that you wouldn't do. Like yeah. I, I do a babka. I do you know a lot of other things. That, yeah, I've seen some sourdough babkas out there in the in the internet. That seems that seems like a yeah. good one. Do you do you do you make a nice panettone yourself? That's what I've been struggling with. Oh, I like admitting, you know, you, you don't know everything it's, quite yet. Yeah, it's another another beast. It really is. It's like um, I I really do agree when people say it's the hardest thing to bake because yeah. it it requires an insane amount of attention, focus, um, and technical knowledge of of every step of the process. So you've got the fermentation side, which is really difficult. The mixing of the dough is very lengthy, and then there's you know two doughs that you have to mix. Yeah. So it's just a long list of plus the long list of components for the flavoring. Absolutely, the flavoring. Yeah. I mean, the, even with the nuts and the dried fruit, and there's a lot yeah. of it going on there. There's also sub recipes to make those pr- components. I, I almost feel like a bakery kind of has to specialize, yeah, on bonnets because you, you're right. You've got the almost like a culinary, like a a chef side to making it, you know what I mean? Or pastry or hundred percent confectionery kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, we, Roy's Roy gets pressed. Nice guy. We don't need to talk about Roy anymore. Everyone's talked about him, but there's like, honestly, if you go to Italy, if you'd be blessed with an Italy nearby or even Whole Foods during the holiday season and see those boxes from, you know, Milan or, right. um, you know, wherever they're coming from they're I mean, they're amazing. These panettonis, these, these Italian holiday cakes. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's something that it's a a, a cultural bread, like absolutely. It, and I grew up eating it. You know, every Christmas we would have one. My dad would get it through our restaurant. You know, he'd special order them and have them flown in, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it has. I have a lot of food memories. You know, around that. It's nice. I think a lot of folks they only know the version you get at CVS, which, <laughs> right. frankly, still delicious to me. I'm a huge Panettone fan, and like. Yeah. Shading on panettone as being not good because of that CBS version. You've just outlined why it's such a, a special yeah. product. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's a lot of levels of of and different kinds too. You know, there's yeah. You've got like a northern style, you know, it's just there's so much history. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. I would love to hear or maybe read uh, more about the Pantone. 
you're probably it's, working on some. It's stuff. coming. Yeah, it's coming. Good. I'll definitely. I'll look for that. Uh, Marisa, on this is taste. We ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> the best breakfast. It, the Italian style. I, I have to go with it. Like good bread and then slices of like meat and cheese yeah. and jam. For me, that's that's it. And an espresso. Of course. Well, I mean, without yeah. question. That's the thing. Like it's get, you got like one, two, three espresso, then you get the meat, then you get right. <laughs> maybe, you know, hit the cigarette and then you're you're Lisa <laughs> <laughs> in Puglia, I was like, that's that's some good. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of smoking there. Um the best dessert. Can we say panettone? We sure can. Um <laughs> but I would like for just the point of, of content, let's what's number two? Number two would be gelato, for sure. <sighs> What, so let's get in. What's your favorite flavor? What mixed great gelato can you find in the States? Pistachio for me is my yeah. favorite. I think maybe limone is the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fr- especially in the summer. It's so fresh. Um, I had, I I want to tell a story. I was recently up in Montreal mm-hmm. and I was looking for gelato and I had some and I was like, oh, it's not that great. But then I discovered soft serve up there mm-hmm. and a baker friend of mine sent me a, a list of places to hit. And I was like, I, I thought of soft serve as kind of like a sub gelato, you know, below it. Yeah. But it is incredible. Like it's, if done right, it can oh, yeah. be its own specialty. Agree. I mean, Tosi, Christina Tosi definitely like redefined soft serve at, at Milk Bar. Um, and, and Brooks Headley has done some soft serve as well. But yeah, it's it's really an amazing category. It is. Yeah. Um, the best bread, I'm asking you this. <laughs> this is so hard to answer because for me, it's like every, I love all yeah. breads. Um, but I think I, I have a special kind of affection for like a French miche, like a large, hearty, dark crusted, you know, loaf that's like, you know, kind of squatter, not not a super tall rise or really open interior. It's more like it's just all about flavor in those kind of breads. So a lot of surface area for great cracks and craggly parts. Yes. Yeah. And it, it's a loaf that, you know, you, you bake and your family eats for like a week. Yeah. yeah. Well, that. speaking of that, my next question is the best recipe featuring bread. I love panzanella. Yeah. It's it, for me, it's like the height of summer kind of. Totally. Um, and I always have bread sitting around. There's always a loaf ready to be toasted or a, a loaf like just about to go stale. I usually grow tomatoes too, mm-hmm. being the, the good Italian that I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have all the components. Yeah. Let me ask you then, um, when you're when you're preparing the the bread component of a panzanella salad, I've I've loved that dish. I do it a lot mm-hmm. in the summertime as well. How do you think about the, the the seasoning and how do you do the the bread part? I always toast it. Yeah. So I kind of make like breadcrumbs kind of thing because I yeah. think even if the bread's stale like giving it a little bit of a toast gives it a little bit more substance and, and kind of body to it yep I like that me as well I, I add a little bit of olive oil of course Got oh yes a little bit of olive oil yes. um, okay let's talk about books your favorite cookbook of all time Um, I think I that's a hard one because I'm a huge cookbook mm-hmm. collector I've got a, a ton of books yeah. um, I think there's there's two books that have had an impact on me the first one without question is the tartine um, book. That's really what got me into to baking Yeah, um, 10 years ago. But I think my favorite cookbook is um, Alice Waters, um, Art of Simple Food. Mm-hmm. I love that book. Yeah. it It's one of those books where you, you don't know what you're getting into when you read it. And then you're like, you know, cooking doesn't have to be 
this crazy complex thing. Like you can make amazing food with just good ingredients. Yeah, and she has a different level of poetry with the way she writes about it. It's beautifully written. Back to Tartine, were you one of those fan, Tartine fans that made a pilgrimage to Tartine in San Francisco? I did. Talk er- about that. Early, early days. Like I think it was shortly after the book came out because I, you know, I go to San Francisco. I used to go to San Francisco for software work, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know about Tartine. And then I don't know how... I heard about it, but I got interested in it. I got the book, I read the book, and then I took the first trip there. And if if you don't if you don't have the luxury of having like amazing sourdough bread, and back then I think it was less less well known, maybe yeah, you know, um, it's kind of transformative because you you eat it and you're like, is this this is not what I this is amazing like it. I don't know how to describe it, but it it got me like really motivated and I was cool yeah I was like I know I can do this kind of thing well when you when you definitely when you come from a town that maybe doesn't have like a, a really like that isn't doing like oven like oven breads like real like right. those really dark and 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 just the the boule of, of a of like with a from a wood oven isn't nothing like it yeah and in Albuquerque where I you know where I grew up um most of the breads that we ate were you know just like fast risen doughs, you know, they're not, it, it wasn't like what we had when we'd go back to Italy and, yeah. you know, my family would be baking a loaf or something like that. And so, um, yeah, I remember, I can distinctly remember going out there and having a slice. I might've been at, no, it, it was at Tartine. I'm not sure if it was bar Tartine. Anyways, it was a slice of, um, their porridge bread mm-hmm. and I was it was just like blown away. Yeah. Amazing place. Did you ever make a pilgrimage to, to Ken Forkish's place did. in Portland? I Ken's? did. My brother lives there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So I'd go up there and I had, you know, his book too. Kind of, yeah. I got his after and I just resonated with him because he was a software tech person. Totally. And it was like getting into red. I'm like, this is this is my guy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely similarities there. I think uh, we had him on uh, earlier this year, maybe late, late last year, and he was in Hawaii. Oh. He had retired and and, oh. and lives in Hawaii now. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad at all. No, he's I mean he's still baking though. He's still yeah. doing his thing, but he's out of the game. Um, he sold to his partners, which is cool. Okay. Real yeah. cool dude. Few more of these. Um, favorite recent cookbook discovery. Recently, I got um, Gateau. By Alexandra Carpenzano. Yep, that's it. Yeah, I love that book. It it's so simple. Mm-hmm. I think there's a theme with my cookbooks. I I love when it's it's like the simplicity of making something amazing. You know, and that's kind of like yeah. my ethos with bread too. It's like it can be complicated, but it can be simple. But um, and I also love her writing. It's like yeah. it's phenomenal. Yeah. A great call with with that book, and also the idea of a very singular idea mm-hmm. that's like carried throughout a book. That's a really smart way. I think that's a smart way to do books. I love it. You don't get lost, and you know it's there's a, a narrative through the whole thing. That's just kind of yeah. A couple more. Your favorite vegetable? Tomato. Is, does tomato count? It's a tomato fruit. is um, not. A vegetable, but it does count because it does. it's obviously a vegetable. <laughs> it, is. it has to be. I mean, <laughs> How is it not a vegetable? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, but um, without a doubt, it's like it. I have to eat tomatoes all the time. Whenever there's a, a ripe tomato, I'm eating it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So let me ask you, in your garden, how many different varieties do you have? So this year I planted six different varieties. Yeah, I figured it'd be in almost double digits. The, the, the challenge is that in Albuquerque, it's so hot. Yeah. And it's so dry that I can't, 
I have not yet, without a greenhouse, you can't grow large tomatoes because they, they split immediately. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying tons of different varieties to find one because I just love a, sli- a thick tomato on a piece of bread with yeah. olive oil. It's like yeah, amazing. No. It's nothing like it. Yeah. Now, um, what about cherries? Do you have any small ones? Cherries, I have um, Rainier. I'm trying to grow yeah, Rainier yeah. and Bing. They're they're actually pretty easy to grow in, yeah. in Albuquerque. So yeah, I have two cherry trees. Unbelievable. I was asking about cherry tomatoes, but also, oh, also no, okay. but, but still, I didn't say tomatoes. But then you like are like low key like I'm just growing <laughs> two types of cherries, including the Bings. Like so, respect. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I feel like. I grew up, my, my dad always had trees and, yeah. you know, we always grew vegetables and, and fruit. And I, I almost feel like it, it is an Italian thing. Like if you've got a little piece of land, you're going to be growing some fruit and it's vegetables. It's so cool. <laughs> you're right. You, you travel and also like Iberian, like Spain and Portugal, you see like yeah. tiny uh, farms and gardens everywhere, literally. Yeah. Uh, cultural thing. Last one, your favorite sandwich. I do this thing where I make focaccia. And then I let it dry out a little bit, and then I slice horizontally, and then it's like mortadella in there. Oh, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's it, right? That's like some tomato maybe. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, what's the condiment? I will sometimes do mayonnaise. Um, Dude, yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, you can also say always do mayonnaise. Always do mayonnaise. But I always do a, a drizzle of olive oil yeah. and then some balsamic vinegar in there. I liked how you were like looking at me with mayonnaise, like, is Matt a mayonnaise guy? And like, <laughs> it's a test, <laughs> dude. I, and I was like, I was like hoping you had said mayonnaise because there's only <laughs> one way to do a tomato yeah. for me in a sandwich form, and is with mayonnaise. You, you have to have mayonnaise. Yeah. Thank you for you're being diplomatic, <laughs> but good call, Mauricio Leo. Thank you so much for joining. This is Taste. Thank you for having me. What's up, Eliza? We're, we're, we're back. Hey, Matt. I'm here to, to talk with you about three things. Three things. What's your first? My first thing is that it is now officially cold, which means that I'm drinking tea like all day, every day. Yeah. And specifically, I've been drinking this tea, a chamomile tea from a tea brand called Alaya. Have you had their tea before? I've heard the name. I've seen it on the internet, but I've never had it. Yeah, they're great. They are a really cool regenerative tea company. They source from some great partner farms in India. And their chamomile tea is probably the only chamomile I've had that has whole flowers in yeah. it. Like the bag is just whole flowers. And I opened it. And I was like, so cute. So beautiful. I bet it smells amazing. It's beautiful. It looks really beautiful. I think if I had a clear tea kettle, it would really be on display. But Mm. the tea itself is also just really grounding and delicious and non-caffeinated, obviously, which means that I've been drinking it a lot in the afternoons. Do you ever do grandpa-style tea? Do you you know that method? Do you follow that? Tell me. What is that? Jordan Michaelman wrote a great piece about it, about tea for taste. Um, I'll link to the show notes. It's a great piece, but it's like when you continue to steep the pot, you add, keep adding water. Yeah. It's almost like, it's just like the Solora, Solera method, but for tea. So you just like kind of always like keep adding water over the course of the day to those, to the leaves, maybe throw in a couple more leaves and kind of like, just like, you know, boost it up as opposed to just like starting from a pot and then redoing it. 
Oh, I would say I always do at least two steeps, probably three out of my tea and go from there. I use a metal strainer just directly in my mm. mug with loose leaf tea so oh, I don't have cool. a whole pot going. Um, but I will add like maybe a couple flowers if I think that the like steep itself isn't quite as strong. Right. So yeah, that's the tea I've been drinking a lot lately. Matt, what's your first thing? First thing was the internet yesterday exploded with some news that McDonald's is doing a collaboration, a wardrobe collaboration. Are you? Do you know where I'm going here, or have you? No, I'm on the edge of my seat. There are Grimace Crocs available Ooh. on the internet. There are Birdie Crocs available, Hamburglar Crocs, and General McDonald's Crocs. And they're they're amazing. Do you own Crocs? So I do. My wife got me a pair of Crocs, Tamar. Her name is Tamar, not just my wife, but Tamar gave me some Crocs. Over the pandemic, they have bananas on them. They're really cute. The problem is, is that they're orange. Oh, that's aggressive. It's aggressive. Uh-huh. I have Crocs also. So yeah, what do you wear them like in the house? Do you wear them out? I have a pair of Crocs that are zebra print nice. on the main Croc and then uh, tiger print on the the backstrap of the crop. Wow, tiger versus zebra. I love that. Yeah, um, I wear them in the summer. I wear them like to be like walking around my neighborhood, I would say. Or like a local like, shoe. Yeah, they're like my local. I don't like wearing open toes in the city necessarily, but I also don't want to wear socks sometimes when it's hot out. So it's kind of the in-between. It's not my inside shoe and it's not my like out into the world shoe. It's mm-hmm. something in between. So you wear, you have Crocs. Do you have Burks? Uh. Not currently. And I will say the Crocs that I own, a lot of people, when I've been wearing them, have been surprised to see them. But I think that they're very, like, they make sense. They make know? sense. They're, they're, they're sensible footwear. But they're not a Grimace Croc, so maybe I need to look into that. So the on that note, the Birdie Hamburglar and McDonald's branded Crocs are like standard rubber Crocs. They're, they're I think, like 80 bucks. The Grimace Crocs are like, they're called a cozy sandal. So they're actually kind of fuzzy inside. Whoa, okay, I'm going to look this up right after. It's amazing what McDonald's has done recently with these collabs. I mean, I thought that, that Grimace birthday shake was was so good. I had it this summer driving to Michigan. I was in Pennsylvania. It was like birthday cake. It was so good. Do you think that the popularity of Grimace has anything to do with the rise of Gritty, the like mascot? Um, I think it actually has something to do with the rise of legalized marijuana. enough said cannabis that's what i think it all is what's your next one my next one is that i went to 99 favorite taste for hot pot recently i actually went for my girlfriend's birthday hot pot but my birthday is three days after hers so i also got free birthday hot pot and when we were there there were no fewer than maybe seven birthdays in the restaurant that day I mean, what a great trick. Free birthday hot pot. You have to dine with somebody who's paying. It can't just be yeah. all people with the same birthday. And they play that song. There's a song that has an air horn and then it's like, happy birthday. And then it's their happy birthday song. So the whole meal, we kept on hearing other people having birthdays, like so waiting for our birthday ice cream. But mm-hmm. the hot pot itself, I thought was super solid. And actually like their house dipping sauce, I spent... 10 minutes probably trying to make the perfect dipping sauce and then tried one bite of their dipping sauce and it was so much better. So my advice is go around your birthday, go within three days of your birthday and get their house dipping sauce. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to do a 2B. This wasn't originally on the script, but I'm saying it right now because it reminds me of it. Don Don, a brand new Korean barbecue restaurant. Oh, I haven't been. It's on 43rd Street. So it's kind of out of that um, K-Town pocket on 32nd and 35th. And it is, it's from the crew that does Marty. And I didn't plan to talk about this because I, I want to do a full episode with the chef, with Chef Shim. But really, it reminded me, the like, birthday conversation remind me, like, this would be a great place to go on your birthday. They specialize in pork Korean barbecue. Samjip Sol and Deji Kalbi. It's so good. So good. 
So is this your second thing? Or? No, this is 2B. This is actually, I have two more things, but I just wanted to interject that Don Don is totally, totally the best. Okay, so my second thing is the new book. Uh, it's called Made Here, Recipes and Reflections from NYC's Asian Communities. And it's from this great nonprofit called Send Chinatown Love. And we will have an interview with two of the key members later on in December. But I wanted to acknowledge this book um, near a pub date and say it is really good. For a group of people who are really not in book publishing, it's an independent release. I got to preview this book recently, and it is as good as anything I've seen this 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 fall season. And I really, really love this book. I love it. It's such a great, great, great compilation of 18 cuisines from all over Asia, Vietnamese, Korean, Burmese, Indonesian, Filipino, Taiwanese, Tibetan, Thai, Malaysian, Singaporean, and Indian. That's not 18, that's many. That's many, and I think that's a great organization, so I'm excited to check out their book. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I, it's great to support their organization. I would probably give them um, a donation without receiving anything in return. But honestly, you should buy this book. I'm linking to it in the show notes. Um, it's a great org and a really cool book. What is your final thing? I also want to talk about a book. Great. I, we, you know, we're here at Penguin Random House. We so. love books. Um, I want to talk about Mayumu, which is Abi Balangit's Filipino-American yeah. Desserts Remixed cookbook, which I've been a fan of for a while. But this past weekend, I was moderating a adobo chocolate chip cookie demo that Abby was doing at the Cherry Bomb Cooks and Books event. And this cookie is just surreal. As are many of the desserts in the book. There's a strawberry shortcake, sapin sapin, which are rice cakes. There's a hollow hollow baked Alaska. It's really like psychedelic technicolor dessert making, which I think especially as it gets colder out, it's nice to be kind of bringing in brightness and flavor in your kitchen in that kind of way. But these cookies, I'm just going to say on record, I didn't get to eat a final cookie. I only got to eat the cookie dough. Wait, really? You didn't actually They get went the... so fast oh, at the I demo see. that by the time I was done talking, there were none <laughs> left. But just the cookie dough itself, you know, it has apple cider vinegar, soy sauce, uh, and like sizzled bay leaves and pink peppercorns. So it's really aromatic and savory and sweet at the same time. And I think I have to like get the book to make these cookies for myself so I can try the full product. It's such a rethink of the compost cookie, but in with like cool ingredients. Yeah. The compost cookie, remind me, that's something that has lots of different things in it. Yeah. That's like the the milk bar, like yeah. lots of different, um, like, you know, there's like potato chips in there and pretzels. Right. This I is think, like, sounds really neat. Yeah. I think I would like maybe push back on that comparison just because it doesn't have a lot of different mix-ins. Like really there's chocolate chips in the dough and then peppercorn on top and the rest of those flavors are kind of the wet ingredients that just kind of I go see into the what dough. You're saying. Oh, that's like cool. Like the bay leaf, you would sizzle the bay leaf in butter and then strain it, and then that butter gets mixed with just straight vinegar and soy sauce, and that's kind of where the adobo flavoring is coming that's from. That's a really cool idea. Now that you've clarified, I appreciate that. It's it's really like savory. It's very savory, but obviously there's there's brown sugar and also white sugar in it. So it has that nice balancing note. Um, and judging by the speed at which these cookies were consumed in front of me, mm. I think the final product must be even better than the cookie dough, which was, of course, delicious as cookie dough is want to be. Can we get Abby on the show? Yeah, I would love to have her on the show. Um, we've been doing a lot of stuff with her with Cake Scene yeah. also. So I think it will be a very fun conversation. Yeah, and you mentioned Cake Scene. It's out now. The, the new issue or the pre-order is we're going to have a longer conversation later in the month. But definitely pick up a cake scene. Cakescene.com. Matt, do you have one more? Eliza, I have a last one. And it's it's kind of personal. It's close to me because I used to work here. Punch turned 10 yesterday at a great party. Happy birthday, Punch. Yeah. And, and I was there for about a year and I've known Talia and Chloe and the crew there, Lizzie. 
um, for much longer. And I have to say, what a great run. And there'll be many years to come. But man, 10 years doing doing independent publishing. Um, I call it independent because the spirit is purely independent. And it really, um, even though I don't drink alcohol, I, I've always found what they're doing really captivating in this space. And I just love the individuals who run it. They're very cool people. They're great people to work with. And I, I just enjoy um, their their work. And, and I'm going to link to a great retrospective in the show notes of 10 years of punch. They did a great job here. And I just got to say, you know, good job doing 10 years. Yeah. Happy birthday to punch. Congratulations. Yeah. 10 years and hopefully 10 more. And that's three things. Three things. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.